says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to preview a monster weekend of Parramatta Reels action is my good mate, 60s. We're recording on a Friday, big fella, and the action starts tomorrow on Saturday and doesn't stop right through to Sunday. Yeah, that's right. It, I mean, it does feel strange straight up that we're recording on a Friday and we haven't had a Parramatta Reels game as yet. I know that's two weeks since the last Thursday night game, but... It just feels a, you know, it's still taking a little bit getting used to. It's a to habit that's going to take a while to break. Yeah, it's going to take a yeah. while to break this one. <laughs> but, uh, mate, yeah, big weekend of uh, Eels football. Three, well, four matches that are on tomorrow. Uh, the junior reps and the Jersey flag will be out at Campbelltown. And there's a little bit of a clash there, which will make it impossible to get to Cabramatta for the Jersey flag, but we'll try and give you the scores when they come through. And of course, we have the double header of New South Wales Cup and NRL from Combank Stadium on Sunday, which I believe, if it's not already a sellout, is exceptionally close because they've had all general admission tickets exhausted as of yesterday, and there was just a few reserve seats that were available. So if you haven't as yet purchased tickets, uh, it might be a bit late. But anyway, just hop on Ticketek and check it out. And before we get into the meat and bones of the preview podcast, as always, a quick reminder that the tip sheet is brought to you by a couple of wonderful sponsors in Big Swing Golf, Northmead, and star partners, Norellon, Auburn, and Parramatta. Couldn't do it without them, guys, and we thank them every time we record for good reason. 60's got an announcement too before we get into our preview. Yeah, of course, uh, it being a home game, mate, we're back at the home of the Eels, Parramatta Leagues Club, straight after the game. It's a, Given that it's a Sunday afternoon game, we'll be there post-match. We'll probably kick off around about 6.30. We aim for about half an hour after the match finishes. Be there with us up in Jack's Bar and Grill, a good place to grab a feed, a beverage, and listen to a bit of footy talk after the game. So let's get right into it, mate. Starting with a triple header out at Campbelltown Sports Stadium. It's going to be a very busy morning into afternoon if you're keen on the junior reps. Starting at 10 o'clock a.m., we have the Harold Matthews where the Parramatta Reels will take on the Cronulla Sharks. It's a not star-crossed lovers, more like star-crossed rivals when it comes to the junior reps and the Eels and Sharks, isn't it, mate? They've had a very storied history in recent years and continues with a new chapter in 2023 as the Eels face the Sharks in sudden death finals football. Let's go through the Parramatta team quickly. They look like they're reasonably close to full strength looking at this roster just before we announce it. But at fullback, you've got Corey Lee. On the wings, Dom Ferruja and Aidan Kaburian. Alma Fatunga Seve and Lachlan Vela are the centres. Uh, you've got Junior Fangalele and Lorenzo Talatina in the halves. In the front row, Jordan Uta and Mikhail Tito, Tito sorry, are the bookends. Uh, Zadis Moonga Tutia is the dummy half. Sorry, not is the or either. He is the dummy half, I got there. With uh, Anthony Abdo, Captain Josiah Finaluta on the edges and Tyson Sanglang at lock forward. Very good looking starting 13 there. We move to the bench where you got uh, Lockie Koinakis, Mark Williams, Mason Ong. And he was there on Team West Tuesday, but he's not here on the New South Wales Rugby Week one. But uh, Ocean Vivella 
was named the Blavers game. So let me just quickly check the Parramatta Eels, Royce, because I'm looking at the match centre on NewSouthWalesRugbyLeague.com. Uh, where are my junior rep team lists here? Junior rep finals, week one. And we have Ocean named in this team. So, yeah, it was original bench was Lockie Kornakis, Ocean Vivella, Mark Williams and Mason Ong. And right now in the match centre, you got Ocean missing. So I think that's just one of those transcription errors, 60s, uh, because this is a very good team on paper if Ocean is there and still very solid without him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that these two teams have come face-to-face this season. I don't think we've played the Sharks this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have it in my mind that we've faced them in at least one of the other grades. It, it, we we had some strange... Yeah, didn't play the Sharks this year in Harold Matz. Yeah, we had some strange draws where uh, there was a couple of weeks where the teams were play, had different opponents mm-hmm. across the grades. I, well, I there's, just have it there's in... There's 15 teams in the Harold Matthews right now and you only play nine rounds of football where often one of those games is a bye. So you're you're playing essentially half the competition. Yes, I, I, I I'm going to double check as we go through this uh, with regard to the SG Ball and Tasha Gale. I just have it in my mind that we we played the Sharks in one of the other grades. But yeah, I, when I was checking this particular match, I saw that we hadn't played the Sharks as yet. So there's an element of the unknown, isn't it? They're obviously a good team to have qualified for finals football. But apart from that, with it being the younger age group, there's not really a huge amount that you come into in, in terms of knowledge from the outside. The coaches have obviously done their homework. We've been privy in the past to sit in on the uh, captain's run video sessions, the tip sheet as they as the coaches have run through them. People would be quite amazed at the depth that the teams go into, uh, the coaches go into with their uh, junior rep pre- um, preparations for a match and the research that they do into the opponents. There is all of the footages out there in terms of... Um, there's a, a they use the um, uh, what's the name of the uh, the app that they have huddle. that's uh, huddle huddle that's it so a lot of the footage is available through huddle which uh, for people who are unaware that's that's something that's made available to the clubs and to the players and the staff within the clubs that they can check out the footage of all of the matches uh, now and and there's quite a library over recent years so. No doubt there'd be plenty of research that's done. The team and the coaches will be coming in far better prepared than us as supporters who haven't seen the Sharks in action this year. And while this is 3v6 in terms of seedings with the Eels being the highest-seeded team, only a single competition point, which would obviously mean a draw, splits these two teams on the actual end ladder come come the conclusion of round nine. So this is a game where it's not like the Eels were day and night better than the Cronulla uh, Sharks. This is a very small margin in the two teams after nine rounds of the regular season, which means that you come into this game expecting it to be a pretty tough battle. Absolutely. And it's it's also a reminder of just how little it takes to miss out on finals football in these junior rep competitions when you only have eight or nine rounds. I think it's not. There were no buys for the SG ball, so they played nine full rounds this year but when you've only got eight or nine rounds 
yet you can you can be missing out uh, on a final spot just on one bad performance and, and the, we have we've seen that in the past with the eels and it's quite evident there when you've got one competition point separating third place and sixth place there just how jam packed the end of the season can be and the eels missing the uh, first week of finals by by 20 points of for and against so yeah. that, again like just shows you how razor fin the difference between these top teams is in the Harold Mats this year. Uh, this is a very open competition in terms of the entire top six, I think. All, all six teams have a legitimate reason to believe that they can win and win it all. So it starts this week at 10 o'clock a.m. 60s. If you're looking at this team, we, we've spoken about them for obviously a couple of months now. It's a very well-balanced team. It's not a huge team in terms of either the forwards or backs uh, compared to some of the other guys in the finals here. That the forwards are obviously mobile and fit and aggressive, and the backs have got a bit of pace and, and, and pretty well uh, put together in all phases. What, what do the Eels need to do, aside from the obvious, we always speak about completions and, and whatnot, but what, do this, what does this Eels, this Parramatta Eels team, sorry, need to do to get the win tomorrow? Well, I mean, you, you actually, I think you've stated the obvious there, completions, because we've seen from this team that the forwards have that capacity to dominate their opponents when they're holding onto the ball. The dummy half, Zaitis Mwangututia, plays a lot of eyes up football. He's always looking for something to exploit around the ruck. And when he's got the uh, big units running off him, it makes it really, really difficult for any opponent. Now, of course, the problem has been all season completions. Now, when I say the problem's all season, you, that might sound a bit tough when you're talking about a team that's finished third, but they've made matches harder for themselves with completion rates that haven't been obviously what uh, coach Chris Howard would like to have from them. Uh, look, their Ocean Vivella is a huge in. We're, we're making the assumption at this stage that he's playing that it's just a a typographical error of some sort that that space is vacant on the New South Wales Rugby League match centre because he was he's named on the Eels site and even though he's coming off the bench he's a he's a big in absolutely and you know that the rest of the pack just absolutely rip in so look I think I think complete and win the middle and then that goes a long way towards getting the victory here because we've seen that when they get a roll on that they're hard to stop. It's just a matter of getting a good solid 60 minutes out of them rather than, say, 25 to 30 minutes of good football. Yeah, pretty much summed it up on the hammer on the nail right there, mate. It's a very well-rounded team. Completions are both being their strength and their Achilles heel, depending on which game you're talking about this season. If they complete well, they compete tremendously well. So that's going to be the sort of litmus test for them tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult for us as a sort of neutrals. Well, I say neutrals. We're obviously very subjective in terms of which team we're following. But to evaluate this Cronulla team, because you haven't seen them. So, you know, you're just going on recent history between the two sides, which has been, you know, split by absolute, you know, Raise a thin margin because, uh, you know, we've had good teams on both Eels and Sharks sides of the fields. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this newest chapter gets written out tomorrow and hopefully the blue and gold prevail. 
Absolutely. Um, a bit of a shout out to, um, I think, a, a player that's given his all all season, uh, uh, Tyson Sangalang. He's been, I think, he's been uh, really uh, solid for the entire entire year, and mm-hmm. you know, isn't isn't necessarily someone who who gets a lot of praise, but I, I think he's had a, I think he's had a really good season. And I really think that as well that uh, Corey Lee's he's that he's had good moments all through the season, but I think he's probably hitting his best form right right now. So um, if you if you consider the how important the role of the fullback is, it's good that he's hitting some, you know striking some great form at the right time of the year. Yes, indeed. I mean, those two players really epitomise that team, don't they? I wouldn't say they're you know unassuming, but they just go about doing their business and uh, don't really have a weakness in any of the three or well, the two main phases of the, of the ball in terms of attack and defense. But their off the ball work is also outstanding. So yeah, good shout out to their sixties, and of course it's a triple header, which means the second game also features the Parramatta Eels as does the third. And it'll be remiss of me not to remind people at this point that you'll be able to catch this game live, I believe live on our New South Wales Rugby League TV. I'm just going to quickly check and see if they've announced this for the finals, but. Uh, regardless, there'll be updates uh, via TCT at the very minimum. So this uh, there should be – I can't see an announcement right now, but if there, uh, if I do find one, I'll let you guys know. But in the meantime, let's get to the SG Ball 60s. So directly following the conclusion of the Harold Matthews, 11.45 a.m. kickoff between the Parramatta Eels and the Western Suburbs Magpies, which, of course, is the junior representative team or feeder team for the West Tigers. Uh, do they actually have two teams in this competition? I'm I'm pretty sure that they do. Uh, let's go to the ladder quickly. Yeah, yeah, they do. There's a, they there do. is a Tigers team as well as a Magpies team. Yes, and uh, as with the uh, the financial side of things, the Magpies carrying the operation there. Uh, the West Tigers finishing well outside the top six. Uh, in this case, the Western Suburbs Magpies qualifying in fourth. Parramatta, sorry, in fifth. Parramatta in fourth. Again, just a single competition point split into two teams. Uh, with the Eels being on the pure win level of seven wins, zero draws, two losses. Magpie, six wins, the draw, and two losses. Four and against, actually in the favour of the Magpies, with the Eels copying a couple, copying a couple of heavy losses to the uh, Canberra Raiders and the Penrith Panthers, which really hurt their four and against at the conclusion of the nine regular season rounds. Going for the team, though, 60s, uh, we start at fullback, and speaking of our very good all-around fullbacks, Tehoranui Twiddle, or Twiddle, sorry, or Apa Twiddle, uh, will lead the team, and will not captain team, but lead the team at fullback. On the wing, you've got Devontae Vivella and Muhammad Alamadine, Richard Penasini, and the 5'8 come centre, Blaze Talangi, uh, in the centre free quarter positions. Blaze doing a very good job in that single showing we saw of him out in the centres earlier this season. In the halves, Joshua Lynn and Ethan Sanders are reunited. Well, not like they ever went anywhere, but they had the week off. But they've actually swapped jerseys for the week off, mate. So that is a long weekend, resulting in some. Uh, Logistical tweakings there. Lean in the six, Sanders in the seven. In the front row, Eels getting some reinforcements back this week. Lanceville, Lima, and Saxon Pryke are the eight and ten. Maddie Arthur at number nine. Dom Destratus and William Lewis on the edges. Captain Charlie Geimer packs in at lock forward. On the interchange, you've got Sebastian Piocala, Sam Torvardi, Raf Destratus, and Paddy Spence as the utility. The reserves for this game, Kobe Herford and Sam Squire. I mean, this is a very, very good team on paper for the Eels. The only real notable admission here is uh, big uh, LeBron Tuala, LeBron. Who, who we know has that uh, hand issue. 
and, and is going to be out of action for still uh, probably six or so weeks uh, as he eventually moves into that flag program once he's healed. But uh, otherwise, this is a, a very good team and probably the best you're going to be, uh, or as good as it's going to get coming into the finals. Yeah, it it looks like it's as close to full strength as we've seen this year with the exception of um, Sam is working back from injury, so he's coming off the bench rather than starting. And you, you mentioned big LeBron not being available. Uh, again, this is one of those matches where we didn't play the West Magpies during the season. Yeah, no, no feel for your opposition, both for us as the you know commentators coming into the preview and for the actual team itself. So it makes these matchups very, very interesting because... You know, you, you could easily get blown out or you could just as easily blow out your op- your opposition because no one really knows how, like which plays are target, who's going to fatigue, where the opportunities might provide that don't always show up on tape uh, in the, the first sort of pass. What we know about the West Magpies is that with their base of operations being in southwest Sydney, they've had a more than competitive outfits in junior reps in recent seasons. They're probably supplying a lot of the talented juniors in the West Tigers pathways system. And this is the team that won the Harold Mats last year, right? I believe. Uh, yes, I, I think you're right. So, so this, this this might have a few young but very talented players in it after winning that competition last year. Let me just have a gander at that before I... And, and just as you're doing that, it's it also worth noting that it's a home game for them. They're getting to play at Campbelltown Stadium. Yeah, despite being the lower seed. And yes, the Magpies did win the Harold Mats last year, 42-16 to 16 over the Cronulla Sharks. So uh, this is a team that... Let me just look at the, the overlapping names here. So we have, from the grand final last year, uh, Luke uh, Lali'i, which I believe was on the... No, he's cap must be his brother is at Lockford captaining this team uh, with... Uh, Luke not in the actual starting team there. But you've got William Craig. Uh, he was a centre in the finals last year. You've got Luke Kepi was the halfback in the, the grand final team. Uh, Lachlan Galvin was not there last year. Uh, Jordan Miller was the starting prop forward. Uh, you So Kit uh, Lalili was still the captain in Lockford of the Harold Mats team. So... They're playing up quite a few players here, it looks like. So it's a pretty good... Uh, uh, Talon De Silva was a dummy half in the finals last year, and he is playing dummy half here. So, yeah, there's a fair bit of overlap here, 60s. This is a team that uh, know how to win and are experienced playing for each other. Yeah, and in in contrast, the uh, Parramatta Reels were bundled out early by the Sharks in the Harold Mats last year. Correct. And and uh, there, there are... Uh, some elevations from that team, but there's also some notable ins and some and uh, new players to the system, including Arpa Tweedle and Devonte Vivella, and players who were also in the SG Ball last year and were back for a second season there. So, look, I think we can only go on what we've seen from the Parramatta Reels this season. We we spoke about just then that we don't really have that depth of knowledge of how the West Magpies have performed in each of their matches. It's also a case when we were talking to Nathan Brown recently, he was, he quite candidly said that the SG ball had yet to, 
put together two good halves in the same game. I think that's fair. I mean, that was true at the time and it was been true since, hasn't it? It has, absolutely. We know the threats that this Eels team can pose. You've, you've seen the, the big forwards that Parramatta possesses. A lot of the team also enjoyed having the physical aspect and, and some of the skills training of the preseason at the NRL preseason before Christmas. So they were getting one to two days, one to two sessions per week, uh, field sessions, and, and obviously must have a bit of gym time as well. And when they weren't training with the NRL team, they were getting uh, field training time in the uh, Jersey flag uh, preseason. Yeah. So they had they had exposure to a higher level of training over that period of time. And we've seen the benefits of that with some of the players. And when you look at the, at the spine that's there, where there's, there are some expectations. We've had Arpa Tweedle or Twiddle. We have to get his, the, we have to check what the pronunciation of his name is so we can get that right on a weekly basis. But he has just inked, uh, an extension with the Eels, so we know that they rate him as a player. You've got this, the rest of the spine with Josh Lynn, who they recruited from Queensland, Ethan Sanders, and we probably don't need to add too much about Ethan because he was a Jersey flag player of the year last year, and he was uh, he's touted as one of the best prospects coming through the system. And then, of course, you've got uh, Matty Arthur, who has just been in excellent form through the entire season, not only scoring tries himself, but really at times dragging these forwards up through the ruck with his uh, dummy half play. Um, He's kicking out a dummy half has been great. He's just one of those players that's in the moment the entire time, uh, really Really strong competitor. I'm expecting him to go up into Jersey flag as well when their season uh, finishes up. The spine is strong enough that Blaze Talungi is out playing in the centres. That's that's a measure of it. And and that's not a reflection on how Blaze is going because he's just come back from injury. But that will let you know that there's uh, a, you know, a very strong spine in this team. And you're not going to find too many bigger forwards than Lance Fulima. We we spoke of, about um, the size of LeBron during the season, but Lance, he's not far behind in no, terms of Lance, how Lance big is he a is. very big unit, and he's a player that took a very good step forwards this year, and it's uh, one I'm really glad to see. When I found out he was a year young last year, because I, I think it's fair to say he didn't have the greatest campaign alongside, you know, the, the team weren't exactly set the world on fire last year, but he made big strides this year, and when he was out, it was very noticeable this year. Yes, yes. Um, Saxon Pryke, who's the other starting forward, he's nowhere near as big as Lance, but Saxon is a real worker. And last year, at the end of the season, he was called up into flag. And I have to say, I thought he was outstanding when he was called up into flag at the end of last season. He's 12 months older, uh, and you know where it's he's at that point where... I guess they're looking for him to start to stamp himself as a senior player in this team. I expect him as well to 
rejoin the flag squad when the SG Ball campaign is completed. Um, you've got Dom Destratus, Ian Raff are just absolute workaholics. Yeah, tearaways, aren't they? They just go, they just go hard on the ball, off the ball, attack, defense doesn't make a difference. Yeah, and William Lewis is is going strong enough that he's actually keeping Raff on the bench. So that's a measure of how William Lewis is going. Charlie Geimer, he's literally on a weekly basis. He's looking more and more comfortable in that lock position because for those that aren't aware, he's moved from being a centre into the pack and of and to be a middle forward as a lock. So he, he is a he's a very physical he plays a very physical brand of football. So he is well suited to be playing in the forwards and he's yeah make it made a great fist of that of that change and really as well you you'd have to be happy with the interchange. Uh Sebastian Piercala, he can he can really get an offload away. He's got that second phase footy in him. Sam, well, enough said about Sam Tuivati. We know he'd probably be competing to start if it wasn't for recent injuries. We spoke about Raf Stratus. And Patrick Spence is a real genuine utility because he's been a member of the Harold Matts at, uh, and start at fullback. He's had to come on and play centre. He's played a bit of lock. He's played dummy half. He's really a, a player for all uh, all positions. And, and it's funny um, because once upon a time, when a young player got sort of made that transition and, and it became pigeonholed as a utility, you wouldn't say it was like a you know a kiss of death on the career, but it certainly would have hindered their development in the more senior grades. But now that number fourteen is a very legitimate position in its own right these days. Maybe that's a bow, like a, a feather in his cap there, uh, you know, or a string to his bow, whichever you know idiom you want to use there. Uh, that might be a real you know boost for Paddy Spence coming through the grades. The fact that he is an out and out sort of super utility. Yeah, he is, and when he plays in the backs, what he has is very good hands because he's got that uh, rugby union background as well. Because I, I think from memory he went through Oak Hill College, so he would have played uh, not just rugby league but uh, rugby union as well and we've seen that a few times with the quick hands out in the back line when he's come in and and played center um ocean's brother Devontae's out on the wing he was playing center from memory earlier this season when yeah. we had some injuries but to with, the centers with plays back he's been pushed out wide um it it's a very good team on paper isn't it like you sort of go through and you can just sing the praises of a lot of players if not all of them but it's, yeah, well, it's just a case Richard, of them. So you Richard Penazzini in the in the centres, uh, Will's younger brother, who is a different build to Will. He's taller than uh, than Will. Uh, probably possesses. Uh, arguably, is he faster than Will? Maybe. Uh, uh, maybe he's got and, he's uh, got the build to stride out longer than Will. So you know that that helps there. But uh, it just depends on the quick t- uh, the quick twitch fibers, obviously. But uh, he, he certainly looks speedy. Watched him go around the park. Yeah, and then we've got uh, Muhammad Alamandine back into the team. I'm not sure if he was injured in recent weeks, but he was the fullback in uh, the in the uh, Harold Matts last year, and he's moved out to the wing in his uh, when he's moved up into the SG ball. So yeah, look, we could go and 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 talk about how each of these players have been going this this season, but again, I think it just comes down to what we spoke about in the Harold Matts. 
if you complete your sets, have a good kicking game, I mean, it's much like NRL football. That's the basis of, of which you have to work from. And they just need, now that they're in finals football, they can't afford to have um, a low effort or um, lower quality half of football in this game. It has to be a high standard in both halves of football. And I think that's the that's basically what they will need to do this weekend to get the win. Yeah, they got dusted up by the Canberra Raiders and the Penrith Panthers in the second halves of those respective games. And, you know, it, like you said, going back to that or harkening back to that Nathan Brown uh, chat that we had about this team not playing two full halves in one game for that entire year, this is a team that if they do figure it out, they will win the title. Like, they, they will go on and they, they can beat the Raiders, they can beat the Panthers and, and do it with style. But it's just a matter of getting all those different details on the same page and done right. So get things uh, figured out and this team will, you know, just go on a rampage. And I think the one player that, obviously, there's, you know, you talk about the spine and whatnot, but I think the one player you probably want to feature here, because I've been very impressed in the limited time we've seen him this year because of injuries, is Blaise Talangi. You've got to find a way to get him involved from the centre position. And if you do, I think good things going to happen. Yeah, and he, he, look, Blaze is—he's almost like—I um, won't say he's a clone of Dylan Brown, but, but he, he has a lot of the similar yeah. qualities to Dylan Brown. He likes—he likes a physical brand of football. He likes to run the football, and when it comes to defence, well, he'd always been someone who had defended above his weight when he was back in the Harold Matts and we first noticed him coming off the bench in Harold Matts and he was actually a year young at that time but what made him stand out was his his tackling technique and that physicality for someone who was that young in the Harold Matts team and I know he caught the eye of some coaches in the NRL preseason when he was involved in that it was in fact I believe uh, a stress fracture of the foot that um, happened partway, well, halfway through the preseason that has seen him return to action so late in this SG ball season. We can expect him to also be one of the players who will go up into the Jersey flag squad once this season has finished for the SG ball. And we should mention as well, all of these matches are sudden death in the first week of the finals. Yeah, if you don't get the week off, it's sudden death. So it's either get uh, finish top two and go through to the grand final qualifier, which is what our Tasha Gale girls did last year, or you're in sudden death mode. So that's the... Uh, well, actually, when you think about it, every finals match is sudden death. Yeah, there, there is not a single... Those teams that get the week off, yeah, uh, teams that get the week off if they lose their first final, they're out, that, they're out as well because yeah. that is... That's the grand final qualifier for them. The, mm -hmm. or, I mean, they call them the semifinals, and in fact, I, I guess they are, but I always like to refer to them as grand final qualifiers. Yeah, because I, I like the you, distinction, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it gives you that distinction of of what it means to get to that level. So, yep. um, or, the, or for people from the older uh, older years, uh, preliminary final. That's uh, That was the old name for the uh, second last week of the season. But... Um, Yes, mate. Now that now leaves us with the Tasha Gale Cup match. Yeah, they close out that monster triple header out at Campbelltown Stadium. Their kickoff is one thirty p.m. and they're the uh, lone lower seed for the Parramatta Eels in these three games. 
They come into this round in uh, fifth place at the end of the regular season, taking on the fourth-placed Illawarra Steelers. And the Eels look like this. Debbie Dewey, one of the two co-captains, is at fullback. Sharpshooter Alicia Bell on one wing and powerhouse defender Howie Bell on the other. Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui, a pair of very good centres, will start in their respective three and four jerseys. In the halves, Charlotte Cawthorn and Talara Bambut are back to work together again. Front row, Layla Dimmick, Kanye Marumulu, and the other co-captain, Ashley Pottinger. In the back row, Khaleesi Mahe, Bella Sanford, and Micaiah Darcy. On the interchange, utility dummy half, Casey Q, Mela Akawala Lala, Layla Black, and Kayana Lakeni. Extended roster features, Rafaela Perigo, Sarah Polo Ali, Aliyah Ganum, and uh, Siololo Vave. So, very... Uh, healthy Ross there if the Eels going into this game for whole, uh, full suite, if not the full squad right there of playing talent 60s. But in terms of their top 17, I'm pretty certain that is full strength and it's going to be very good to see them in action taking on a Steelers team. If I quickly check the ladder here, I know they finished in fifth. I just want to see what the difference was between equal these two points, teams. Equal points. Equal points. There you go. So for and against a factor here. And, and they, a draw between the two teams. That well, was that yeah, last the Bell, draw. Yeah, the Alicia Bell post-final uh, uh, bell or whistle uh, conversion to the tie-back game. But the uh, Steelers did finish this season a bit stronger than the Eels on points differential. Uh, so that gives them the highest seed in this contest. But uh, let, me, uh, let me just talk about that for a moment too. Now, I haven't dived into the draw that the Steelers have had. However... With we've we've spoken about how every team doesn't play everyone once during the season. It just so happened that the Eels did not get a single match against the bottom three teams in this competition. I mean, it's it's quite extraordinary that there are there are thirteen teams in the competition. So there's a there's twelve teams outside of uh, the Eels. And in their eight matches, they didn't find one game against the Rabbitohs, the Dragons or the West Tigers, who, as I said, finished bottom three in that competition. So, um, And it did mean that they had to play the Bulldogs and the Roosters Indigenous Academy, both of those teams. Now, both of those teams were standout performers and, of course, the um, they had big wins against the Eels. And look, that's not any sort of slight on the Eels. That's just a measure of the difference that those two teams had in comparison to the rest of the competition. They never played each other, both of those teams. Mm. So here again is the vagary of the draw. The top two teams were undefeated because they never had to play each other. Yeah, and you, you can't even use the dodgy science of transitive properties to say, well, they lost this team who then beat the other teams, therefore they're better than the other team. But in this case, looking at the two draws, 60s, they uh, the Steelers actually did match against the Roosters, the Indigenous Academy, and the Dragon uh, and the uh, Bulldogs. And uh, they had a narrow loss to the Indigenous Academy in round four, 12-6, which tracked slightly better than Parramatta's loss, who didn't have a blowout loss by any means, the Roosters, Indigenous Academy, but was slightly better. But they also lost to the Bulldogs, in almost the exact same fashion as Parramatta. Uh, I think the Eels went down 36-0. In this game, the Steelers went down 34-0. So uh, very, very similar there. And out of those bottom three teams you mentioned, they didn't play the Tigers and they didn't play the uh, Rabbitohs, but they did play the Dragons and got the post to score on them 46-0. So that was a 
bridging a, a fair chunk of that for and against gap right there. Yeah, absolutely. But given that we did see a match between the two sides, we can maybe draw a little bit of a form line, which, you know, when you think that the latter had them on the same points at the end of the season and when they finished in a, from memory, it was a 10-all draw mm-hmm. when they clashed and that was a Steelers home game, it was, yeah, it it looks like it's going to be a very tight contest. The For me, the, the Tasha Gale team have shown genuine fighting qualities this season. Like they, they just don't give up in matches. Yep. And to that end, you've seen them score late in halves. And that's exactly what happened when they played the Steelers. And for, and just as a recap, they were down by 10 to four with, with in basically the last minute of football and coming out of their own quarter, they strung together the perfect set of six, which saw them hit down the middle of the field, get uh, get some good territory, hit the right side. Uh, it, it saw Haley Bell uh, break away and um, get down in uh, down towards the quarter. A reasonably quick play, the ball. The ball was put up into the air towards the Steelers' goal line. It broke left when it hit the ground. It was allowed to hit the ground. It broke left. And then I think from memory, it might have been Vave on the wing that day who who won the race to ground the ball literally just inside the sideline in the in-goal area, which left Alicia Bell with a kick from right on the sideline on a windy day down in uh, down in Wollongong, and she's absolutely nailed it from the sideline to get the draw. Now, if you were an opposing team in most matches in the Tasha Gale competition, and whoever was the kicker was lining up a kick in windy conditions from the sideline, you'd still be pretty confident that you'd got the win. But if you're coming up against Alicia Bell, she is as much chance of kicking it from the sideline as she is from most other spots on the field. I'm not saying that she's a perfect kicker by any means, but you will go a long way. She's not. Fine. She's not automatic, but she's not far off. Yeah, you will go a long way towards finding a kicker who compares to her in the Tasha Gale competition. It, it doesn't mean she doesn't feel the pressure. It doesn't mean that she won't miss kicks because even the best kickers have have missed kicks in the NRL from even relatively simple uh, conversion areas. So it's um yeah it's it's no guarantee. But the thing is, she is a class above every other kicker in the competition. So um, she's, look, she's a really important member of this team. But as I said, what I like about them is what I spoke about before, just that tenacity and resilience. Uh, I'd like to see them having maybe a little bit more belief when they have ball in hand, Mm -hmm. a little bit more self-belief because, We've seen that we see that in patches where they get they get on a bit of a roll, and uh, forwards like uh, Dimmick uh, absolutely tear through opposition packs. 
Yeah, I, but, I agree. But, Dim, Dimmick, Mahe, Sanford, they've all got the ability to be explosive and, and real game wreckers. But like you said, it comes comes down to that self-belief and the team's sort of self-belief. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's almost like you want to say to some of them, do you realise how good you could be? Mm-hmm. And it's, and I mean, I don't mean that as a knock. In no, no, way. it is like a, an empowerment question, isn't it? Like, yeah. do, do you realise that you can dominate? Like you can go out there and completely turn the tide of his game with one run or one tackle. Absolutely, absolutely. So, look, I think that they've done really well because it's been – it was almost like this year was a rebuilding year after losing so the number of players that they did last season. And also the, we had one or two injuries to players that have kept them out for the season. So when you say this is their probably the strongest team they can put out on the field – at the moment, that's discounting players that have been unavailable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's the sort of disclaimer that should always go with those sort of statements. So, um, but look, it's, yeah, it's, I think there's, I think there can be a bit of an advantage against the Steelers through the back line here. Uh, I, I Again, I think if, we, if the forwards can, can win the middle, that... We've seen some great form this season from uh, Peden and Tui. Yeah, they're very destructive when, when the Eels are at least even in the ruck. So if you give them a platform to get downhill and attack, they're going to open this game up. Yeah, and and uh, Debbie Dewey, she's a dwar. He, I'm not quite sure the correct pronunciation of Debra, Debbie's name, but uh, she had a bit of time in the halves this season and and at times as the fullback, as you as you see with a lot of fullbacks, plays like an extra half. But she I mean, she genuinely does. I mean, she looks like she'd be someone who, if you said to her, Do you want to play in the fullback or the half? she'd go, hmm. You know, like mm. it, it just it just seems to be that she enjoys that playmaker type of role. So um yeah, just a a, a bit of a bit of belief there that they can get the job done. It's going to be a challenge because you get through this one and you're facing either the, the Roosters Indigenous Academy or, uh, well, actually, who who would it be if they get through? Is it going to be the Roosters or the Bulldogs? The draws, I get a feeling it might be the Roosters. Let me see if the draw has been updated to reflect the round one matchups. It has not. But as soon as the Eels are the, we're the middle seed game, right? It's yep. 4v5. We'd probably play the uh, the second seed, I'd say. Yes, the, which the would top, be the Roosters. The top, the top seed. Oh, it would be. No, I think. Oh, yeah. Good point. Because uh, the other outcome would be it's a the better potential. Because the top seed should have the best possible outcome, right? Because that's their reward yes, for finishing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the three v the three v six is technically got the best outcome with six wins, but the worst outcome of three wins. So maybe on the weighted average it would be four v five. So. Maybe we do have a day for the Bulldogs in round two, if we get for it. Yeah, yes, um, which should be the third time that they've played the Bulldogs. Yeah, pre-season, last, pre-season. last regular yeah. uh, round season, and then uh, finals. So, Well, they won't be able to say they don't know much about No, <laughs> yeah, this will be one matchup where if they get through the Steelers there, they're going to have plenty of intel on their opposition, and it's going to be some tough homework because, geez, that Canterbury outfit is tremendous, so... Let's, uh, yeah, but we're not gonna, we don't want to talk too much about them. No, the you, you don't we count got, your chickens before they hatch, but uh, no. best wishes to Chris Howard, Stephen O'Day, and Ryan Walker and their respective squads tomorrow. 
uh, in a massive day of football out at Campbelltown. And what is the weather tomorrow at Campbelltown? Uh, I suppose that's going to be uh, relevant for tomorrow. They're saying cloudy and 25 degrees on the old Google weather, uh, which would be pretty ideal given that we've had some uh, inclement weather in recent uh, uh, sort of days, especially yesterday in particular. So Mate, 25 nice. degrees is quite a warm April day. It is. So, And uh, they're saying 10% chance of precipitation, nearly 6% humidity, so pretty much an ideal day to play football, honestly. Yeah, can't, agree, can't argue with that. And, of course, the, uh, game, the game that we're going to miss because of that triple header out at Campbelltown is the Jersey flag. Probably the most impressive squad for the Parramatta Eels, three senior grades uh, across the opening six or seven weeks of action in the uh, competitions or flag cup and NRL competition, sorry. And uh, this week they're taking on the Canterbury Bulldogs. Indeed, all three senior grades are taking on the Canterbury Bulldogs. A little bit of a prelude to the other two games there. This one kicks off 3 o'clock p.m. New Era Stadium. Uh, Eels on a four-game winning streak coming into this one. He's looking to tie... A well, since the reinstatement of the flag, a uh, flag era uh, record for the club of five wins in a row, I think. I'm um, going back to was it 2018, 2019? Uh, but yeah, they're playing some tremendous football and run out like this. Is there, are, there are a few changes this week in light of injuries sustained against the West Tigers last week. But at fullback, you got Lindsay Munro on the wings, Samuel Luizu and William, no, Lene Fatarika, sorry. In the centres, you've got William Lato and Ned Hicks working together. Hicks was 5'8 for the last couple of games. Slots back into the centres this week to make way for Damian Nati, who made his club debut off the bench last week and was pretty good 60s. I think probably the only thing you'd maybe give him a little knock on was an in the polish that kicking game, but as a runner and as a ball player, looks very sharp, setting up a try, scoring a try. He'll uh, partner the tall halfback, Mac Porfisi. In the front row, Noah Reed comes in for the injured Brock Parker, He'll partner Jonte Junior and Bethan Mesa. Still a very good starting pair of bookends right there. Jacob Davis is the starting dummy half. Uh, Jock Brazel captains the team on the left edge. Max Tupo, the right edge back rower. Nicholas Lenars, that wrecking ball defender slash uh, dummy half utility at lock forward. Uh, on the interchange, Lachlan Mears Crab, Tyson Chase, Nick Alrafor, and good to see this guy back, but Larry Moonga Tutia comes onto the interchange to add some beef and playmaking potential for the Eels. In that middle forward uh, rotation, Marcus Atoa is the 18th man or the reserve player. And this is a, a pretty important game early in the season, 60s, because the Bulldogs are doing pretty good in the flag. They're coming in in third place, uh, equal with the Eels in terms of competition points, but they have a bye and three wins. The Parramatta's four wins, no bye, so the Eels actually have a better win percentage, although a lesser for and against. Uh, and this is a, a game that keeps the winner in touch with the top two, uh, with the Roosters on 12 points coming into this round and the Sharks on 10. So plenty of early uh, seeding implications in this game. And uh, the the Bulldogs team themselves, obviously no chump change. Uh, Michael Gabriel, there's a name you'd recognise, 60s. Uh, yes. Very, very talented centre for the Eels. And Harold Matz got pinched by the Bulldogs and has been promoted very quickly through to the Jersey flag uh, as a testament to both his physical development and his individual talents. Uh, they've got some other handy players in this grade. I think Sione Mawala, uh, Lepoi Hopoi, and um, those, I was trying to think of someone else, but I'm, I'm missing someone else there. But uh, obviously when you're coming into this competition, sitting in third, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, it was very disappointing to see Michael Jabril get pinched by the Bulldogs because he looks like he's going to be one out of the box as a centre. I... Just based on 
what I saw of him in the Harold Matts, I had him marked down as a, a genuine chance of playing NRL at a young age. There's also a, a Danny Gabriel on this team, so maybe they used the old his brother. The brother strat. There you go. So they did employ the old brother strat there. So I mean, yeah, I think good. I think I've got a feeling that his brother might have already been at the Bulldogs, mm-hmm. and he moved, and he, that he he moved over there. Um, following his brother, I, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I just have it in the back of my mind that his his brother was already there when he was picked up by the Bulldogs uh, during last season. So it's yeah, it was very disappointing. He he is a physical, fast center. I guess the. If I was making a comparison, I don't think he, he possesses the, uh, the the pace that this particular player I'm going to compare him to. It just in terms of the style of centre was Bronson Sherry, in that he he was he's fast, he's got a step, he's physical, and obviously for him to be playing Jersey Flegg first year out of Harold Matts is a nod to the fact that he is physically capable of, of playing against up to 21-year-old players. Mm-hmm. So, and, of course, any, any sort of Bronson-Sherry comparison is purely on the field, right, 60s? That's a- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I mean, we people will remember the impact that Bronson yeah. made. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not making the... There's no absolutely no negative insinuations. No, no, no. no. I'm not making any negative connotations at all. No, no. I'm trying to... I'm trying to compare the In terms of play style, I know exactly what you mean. That's just that fast, physical, can really just take take a game away from you once they get a little bit of space. Uh, Oh, there was was one... There was a try that they set up with a, a, a scrum play in the Harold Matts last year. And it was Parramatta put most of the the backs over on the left-hand side. This was back in a scrum down in the quarter. So the the majority of the backs have, have gone um, for – it was a centre field scrum from memory. They've packed the left-hand side, and it's uh, Michael Jabril and hit the winger on the other side. So the, the opposition only had two players marking up against them. And the ball was just passed to Michael Jabril. And it was try time. Go get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. He's going yeah. to cause point, ask plenty of questions. The Eels, I don't know if he's marking up against Hicks or uh, Latu. They're going to have to have the answers ready. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and as I said, I don't know that he's necessarily as fast as what Bronson Sherry was because Bronson Sherry was one absolutely one out of the box. Yeah. And, and we don't know to what extent that was aided yeah, boy. Unfortunately, that. now there's that you know like that mark against that name. But in in terms of just watching him on the field back then, yeah, he was a like a physical lightning bolt, wasn't he? Just a you know absolute. You, you hear the term used a lot. He was an X factor in the juniors, and uh, Michael's very much in that same mold. You give him any sort of opportunity, he's going to convert it more often than not. So definitely, yeah, a key it'll be player. interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how he's developed this year. Yeah, because we haven't we haven't seen him in action. Uh, since uh, he's he departed the Eels. So I am very keen because, as I said, that's in terms of trying to make that comparison to the style of play, I've, it, 
it's again it, it's a big in some sense it's a it's a big call but i'm just trying to compare the style of center that he is um, mm. not saying that he not saying that he possesses every quality that that bronson sherry did but when i first saw him in action for the eels i just thought this this bloke's one out of the box this is an nrl player in waiting and maybe that's a lot to put onto one player and we're talking about an opposition player here but that's just how highly i rate the the young no, players I think, that's, I think that's fair mate and for the Parramatta eels uh we mentioned it but no brock parker no terrell williams no bone newlands uh a trio of injuries there coming out of that big win over the west tigers but it doesn't change the game plan for Parramatta, does it? Craig Brennan's men know what to do. And if they play that brand of football that they've been doing so well across the last month, uh, like we've, we said in other previews and reviews on the tip sheet, they're going to be very hard to beat because it, that, that style of football is incredibly, not, not infuriating, uh, but when you play relatively mistake-free football backed up by really physical defense, I mean, that that is, you talk about asking questions, that is a, a brand of football that asks a lot of questions of your opposition. Yeah, and it's been a case of the next player up getting the job done because they've had to do some reshuffles and they've had some players out and they've just been rolling up the sleeves, getting the job done, functioning as a team. Uh, speaking to uh, Craig Brennan, it's when you are the, the coach of uh, a flag team, you are looking at what is happening in the two grades above. Because if you've got injury at either NRL or New South yeah. Wales Cup guess level... Guess who's getting their talent pool drained. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the, the blow-on effect of players that are that are lost. So it's not just injuries to his own players that would give concern about you know, trying to get your best team on the paddock, but you're getting call-ups to the higher grades that may occur through injuries or even even form to an extent. I, I think Brock Parker was he was possibly going to be lost to New South Wales Cup at some yeah, at some stage. He, he certainly he was wasn't far off a longer term call up to senior football prior to uh, whatever injury sustained last week. And obviously they've already lost Arthur Miller Stephen and Matthew Komalafi uh, to that grade as well, with Arthur doing very well before picking up a, what we think was a shoulder injury. And Matty yeah, now, you know, still active in that team and doing very well. So, you know, that like you said, it, unfortunately, as a Jersey flag, you're at the bottom of that totem pole. And when that, uh, when the coaches come calling in high grade saying, hey, we need a winger, centre, prop, whatever, it's like, okay, well, I suppose you're taking my best players. You know? <laughs> well, well, you, look, you, you look at it straight away and you, uh, you've mentioned some of the players that have been called up. But then you've, you've got uh, Samuel Luizio, who floats between New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag anyway. So he's generally the first back that's called up. Then you're, you're looking at uh, players like Brock Parker, who I just mentioned. Uh, Jonte Jr., he did the he's NRL pre-season. Played a game in Cup this year and did quite well. Yep, yes. And then, of course, you've got Jock Brazel, who was also involved in the pre-season and will be, I believe, part of the... It will, train full-time next year i'm pretty sure mm -hmm. and he's because he he inked a, a deal i think it was last season for a number of years at the club so uh he and part of that of course is the plan for how he progresses through the grades and he's doing uh as, as the captain of this team he's he he plays a very physical brand of football and he will set he, he often will be setting that tone 
of the aggression that's out there on the field. And he he is looking more and more like the the type of player that every team would want in their every supporter would want in their NRL team. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and and that's without putting any any pressure on him because all he has to do is just keep playing the same type of football that he that he is and just continuing to develop. And I think he'll he's someone that will be playing NRL. So you've got those those players just you know without anyone else um, developing or 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 playing high quality football that gets noticed by the upper. Uh, by the NRL coaches, uh, there's, you know, this team they're 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 just going they're just going well as a unit. And full marks to uh, Breno on that. Yeah, it's a very fun brand of football to watch because it's so like full fully bought in from the playing group, isn't it? So they're doing some great stuff there. Hopefully, they can get that streak up the five and beyond with a win over the Bulldogs, which brings us to the. New South Wales Cup, which is part of a doubleheader on Sunday. This one kicks off at 1.30pm, of course, at Combank Stadium, home of the Parramatta Eels. And this is another high-stakes game relatively early in the season 60s. It's 1v6 Parramatta, uh, doing pretty well over the last month of football, going undefeated, three wins and the draw against the Dragons. Coming up against the first-place Canterbury Bulldogs. I'm really interested to see how the Bulldogs and uh, how they play, because looking at this team on paper, I can see some talent, but uh, it's not like they're full of stars, but they've got some NRL experience. They've got some good young guns in this team. So maybe that's the sort of balance of experience and energy needed to win in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, but for the Parramatta Reels, they're relatively unchanged from last week. I think there is the one change with an NRL player coming back into this roster. Starting at fullback, though, Dejan Arcee on the wings, Isaac Lumi Lumi and Matthew Komalafi. Wanga Blake and Zach Sini in the centres. Captain Jordan Rankin will... Play the game from 5-8. Jake Arthur at halfback. In the front row, Offy Ogden and Kyra Rodwell will be bookending Mitch Rain. Jack Murchie, the player that I was alluding to earlier, he drops out of the NRL squad to start on one edge with Matt Dury, who did exactly the same the week before, uh, getting the 80-minute look on the other edge. Luca Moretti will be the lock forward. On the interchange, Jaden Yates is the forward-slash-dummy half-utility. Dan Keir in the back row-slash-middle. Tony Mattielli, probably the unfortunate uh, outcome of uh, Jack Murchie getting bumped back to this grade. He slides from the starting edge to the interchange bench, where he's joined by another young forward in Tavita Talmapenu. Jeremiah Masia continues his struggles in uh, blue and gold colours as he slides from uh, NRL player to starter in the New South Wales Cup to bench player to 18th man. Looking at this Canary Bulldogs team, quickly 60s, uh, there's a couple of players worth pointing out. Jarrell Skelton. Uh, relation to, I believe, Will Skelton in Union. He's a big uh, outside back. You've got uh, Khalid Rajab and Carl Lawapu, a pretty talented pair of young halves. Uh, Lapu was obviously the player that they paid an absolute bank truck's worth of money to get that transfer fee. I think it was $500,000 to the Brisbane Broncos after Lapu wanted it out. Uh, he's obviously doing very well considering he's an 18-year-old playing reserve grade, and uh, I think he's up there in most of the key playmaking metrics among the competition uh, stats. And you've got uh, in the forwards, Andrew Davey immediately jumps out, former Parramatta Real, very good player. Sam Hughes, another former Parramatta Real's prospect. There's Curtis Morin, which is another bloodline player, uh, which would be familiar to the Bulldogs players. Zach Heverington. Jaden Tanner, is that a former Parramatta Real's junior? Or am I thinking of Skinner? Uh, always. Yeah, you're thinking of Jaden Skinner. Yeah. So, 
but uh, it's a pretty solid team for the Bulldogs. They're coming first with five wins, the one loss. Uh, they've got the best points differential in the competition just ahead of the New Zealand Warriors. I'm actually curious to see who they dropped the game to. Uh, if I just pull up the Bulldogs here, they lost to the Warriors. So they've uh, they've had a relatively good draw early on. They had Blacktown Workers, who are a fairly middling team. The Dragons, who are not very good. The Western Suburbs Magpies, also not very good. I know the Eels barely got past them, but they also played the worst game of the season. Uh, they lost solidly to the Warriors, two converted tries, and then beat the Jets, which is always a good outcome there for a team, 16-6. Got past the Rabbitohs. So, I mean, they've had winnable games. They've banked the winnable games. They lost one of the uh, tough games in terms of the draw of the ladder early on the season to the Warriors, but they did beat the Jets. So, oh, they... that's that is a that's a, a big win because we saw what the Jets did to mm-hmm. the Eels at Combank Stadium, and uh, especially I think it was Stone Street yeah. that yeah, it's a shame that they got him on the lock the key. Yeah, multiple times on that day. So it, it was it was not a memorable match for the well it was memorable but in the wrong way uh you we talked about last week being a very flat performance that i think was that mirrored the nrl performance it just seemed like the squad were just flat for whatever reason maybe it was the length of the turnaround that was just a bit too long Uh, i mean you're talking about teams come off uh, the bye, fresh. And if, with that length of the turnaround for the Eels, which was what, from the Thursday, Thursday to Monday? Thursday, yeah, very long. As, yeah. long. as long as it gets in terms of week-to-week competition. Yeah, and you thought that might have freshened them up. And I I, I think they only uh, did two sessions that week. So I think BA was looking to freshen them up from memory. I think their only sessions were like he gave them a break, and then their only sessions were uh, Wednesday and then Saturday right. last week. I mean, th- there is obviously some deeper science that can go into the buys, but I honestly feel like Parramatta Eels almost need to not have the buy being a week off because it feels like we we tend to come out slow from buys whenever we have the you know because you do want to reward your players of time off and let them rest and rebuild uh, recuperate, but. Yeah, part of me also says maybe we just need to train through like there isn't a week off because... Well, if you look at where now our second buy of the season is, it's the last round of yeah, the... Yeah, that, that terrifies me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like because if, you know, you're hoping that the Eels obviously in finals contention at that point, but we play on the Thursday night, the penultimate round of the season, into a buy, into finals football. Like, that, that is a, a, a proposition that I do, I do not know how to attack. Yeah, look, I, I look at this this match and obviously we've got a, a couple of former Eels in Sam Hughes and Andrew Davey in the Bulldogs pack. The Eels pack should win the middle in this. But, of course, it comes they didn't win the middle against the Magpies. It was... It was... They just... It just seemed like they didn't bend the line enough. Um didn't really get them on the back foot. It was the Magpies almost yeah. looked comfortable. Defending. Yeah, it was it was a real bludger game. But like you said, the Eels didn't really bend the line for the middle. Our outside backs were dropping the ball at every opportunity. It was uh, collectively probably the worst team effort you're going to see from the Eels all season. Even if they got the win. Like you're going to have losses where the Eels will play far better than what they did against the Western Suburbs Magpies. So that was, I mean, very frustrating. But you take the two points regardless of there. 
But yeah, this this Eels four pack you mentioned at sixties, but Ogden, Rodwell, Murchie, and Dury all NRL capped to various degrees. They know what it takes to to play, you know, high level football. Luca Moretti, not NRL capped, but also probably the most informed forward in that pack. So yeah, it's a it's a good absolutely. starting good starting eight to thirteen. Mitch Rain's doing a decent job of dummy half. The interchange is probably the best it's been all season too, because you've got Tony Matteo bumped back there. He can come in and give you, you know, a bit of impact. Uh, to be the Talma Penel and Dan Keir, very solid players. Jaden Yates, likewise, you know, just a, a good forward utility. Uh, but the the question would be, I suppose, assuming that these guys lay the platform from eight through to seventeen, you know, what can the backline do? Because last week Wanga Blake was a hundred percent guilty of trying way too hard, and he got inside his own head, was over eager, led to mistakes. He needs to dial it back. Find almost like you know that Happy Gilmore. Find your happy place. You know, it sounds stupid. Yep. It sounds stupid, but that, that that's really is for him. He's just got to let the game, the flow of the game sort of come to him and go with it rather than trying to, you know, force things to happen because that's what he was trying to do in the first half against the Western Suburbs Magpies and all it did was lead to him being offside on kick chases, trying to grab the ball before it got to him when the pass came his way. And, and you know, we, he's obviously way better than that. Uh, and then, you know, if Dejan Arce having his second game at fullback, I expect him to, you know, go up, not necessarily another gear, but just, you know, be that much more comfortable chiming in from the back. He was good on the kick returns. Now I expect him to be a bit more uh, opportunistic when it comes to sweeping down that left and right edge. So, yeah, interested to see how this one plays out. It'll be that prelude game or curtain raiser out at Combank Stadium. So if you've got the time, the opportunity on Sunday, make sure you get out there and get your value for your ticket because you get two full games. And, oh, yeah. absolutely. I think it, you've. there's no excuse for not being there. People, people are quick to say, oh, we should have this player in or that player in from... Yeah, here's your chance to go assess them. Exactly. Yeah, go go out, have a look, see what you think about the players, see what you... Don't don't just go on, you know, oh, I've seen them play on TV in this one match. Or what myself and Sixties tell you too. Like, you know, obviously you can't just form a huge, like a a perfectly informed opinion on one game, but you get a chance to see these players. So, and especially because the last few uh, combat doubleheaders have been on really rough uh, work days. Uh, whether it's yes. been Thursday or Friday night, uh, Friday night I think a couple of times. So, you know, it's been uh, really not a, an opportunity for anyone that's working on the five to get out and watch the reserve grade. So now it's on a Sunday afternoon. If I go back to the the weather, let's quickly check this because it's going to be relevant to the NRL as well. Uh, on Sunday we have pretty much the same conditions. 25 degrees, cloudy, 10% chance of precipitation, 50% humidity. So let's hope that both Saturday and Sunday forecasts stay true. Yeah, and I think the, obviously the who, the player that will be crucial to the team is Jake Arthur. And much like the uh, how I said the game mirrored the NRL last week with it being a bit flat, you also had the halfback almost carrying the team to the to the win in what was an ugly win. And uh, young Jake pretty much did that. His first try was almost like a forward taking the ball up to crash over the line and. Uh, the Eels' second try was uh, he had a little bit of that double shuffle coming up to draw the defence, got the ball to Dejan Arce, who then threw a very good pass out to Matt Komalafi, who we know, uh, if there's one thing that Matt's got in his arsenal, it's that ability to find the line. And he's he's got a, a, a great try-scoring record in his limited yeah, appearances he, in New South Wales Cup. He loves New South Wales Cup, doesn't he? He's uh, uh, striking it well better than a try game, so... Doing good things there. And the other thing that we didn't mention in our, our wrap-up of the game last week was 
while we did have um we we cracked a few jokes about uh the the Western Suburbs fullback Dane Laurie there we go got it Dane Laurie uh getting run down by Jordan Rankin and and you know what it means to be run down by old man Rankin there the other player that we didn't talk about that come from the other side of the field was Matt Comalafi, and that wasn't a surprise to me because Matty's always been tremendous in those effort plays in terms of chasing down players and pushing up in support. So, you know, he, he's not, you know, dominating New South Wales Cup, but he's also not getting a ton of opportunities, and the opportunities he, are, he is getting, we just saw him ice. So good to see him doing exactly what's required of him there and can hopefully continue to build in this grade come this game on Sunday. Yeah, and we know as well that we've got those, we spoke about it before with the players that have dropped back from the NRL, like Jack Murchie and, and Matt Dury. And for them, it's pretty much a matter of build up some game time because when BA has bench players that don't get the sort of minutes that he wants them to get, he's in the last few years, he drops them back to New South Wales Cup, builds up a bit of game time, then brings them back in onto the bench because you need to see players like Matt Dury getting as close to 80 minutes as possible, given that he's he has that history of playing off the bench. So we want his game time up. We want Jack Murchie's game time up. And then they're a real shot at coming back in on the interchange bench for NRL. And that brings us to the main event of the week, Parramatta Reels in 14th round, taking on 14th round, 14th place. What am I doing? Taking on the 13th place Bulldogs. A game that, in terms of ladder seating, is obviously on the lower end, but keeps the uh, the winner back in the chase for the top eight. Uh, and the Eels coming off a, an ugly win against the West Tigers. The Bulldogs, they got pumped, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, so the Bulldogs got pumped by South Sydney, I believe, uh, last week. So there's the uh, bounce-back factor in play for the Dogs here, but the Eels, too, looking to build on their second win of the season. Uh, let's go over the Bulldogs team after I announce where we're playing, Combat Stadium, what time, 4.05 p.m. And you can catch us on all your major networks, 9, Fox, KO, etc., etc. Uh, but for the Bulldogs, 60s, they go out like this. Uh, former Eels fullback and utility back, Hayes Perham is in their number one jersey. Jacob Kiraz and Braden Burns on the wings. Don't mind Kiraz, he's a real goer. Uh, in the centres, Jake Avarillo and young gun Paul Alamotti, who's also a pretty handy player. In the halves and captaining the team, Matt Burton, Carl uh, Flanagan, his partner in the halfback spot, Max King and Tavita Pangai Jr., one of several key ins for the Bulldogs, or I say a couple of key ins because it was several initially. Uh, in the front row, Reid Marnie, obviously former Parramatta over there, his dummy half, one of the other co-captains in this team as well. Viliami Kikau, initially named to play in this game, would have been a huge in for the Bulldogs. He has done his peck. So the week, the two rounds before he got concussed at training and had to miss the game against the Rabbitohs, he comes back to prep for the Parramatta Eels and the poor bastard tears his peck. And now is looking at uh, anywhere from 8 to 14 weeks, I think is the timeline for a torn peck, which is better than what it used to be. What is he doing at training? I, I don't know. I, I do not know. But whatever they're doing with poor Kikau, they've got to change it in the next two years of his contract. I'll uh, tell you what, he, it, he's obviously... When you're seeing injuries like that, a concussion and a torn peck, he's he must be absolutely throwing himself into training. Like, yeah. I, I look at that and I go, that's unfortunate, but you, the, you, the bloke must be... It's that fine line, ripping. isn't it? You want to be setting an example. to, And obviously, Kikau comes from a team that's won back-to-back premierships where he was a huge part of it. 
and he's trying to bring that experience and edge the Bulldogs who have been a cellar dweller for the last few years, and he's trying to inspire the team. But you've got to temper it, don't you? You can, you can go too hard. And obviously for him, it's a combination of bad luck and that, I'd say. And it potentially rubs him out for the season unless the Dogs go deep in the finals. Uh, who was meant to be playing alongside him in the back row was probably Canterbury's breakout player of the season, Jacob Preston. Uh, he'll be on the other edge. Raymond Faitala Mariner was meant to be the uh, third of a trio of reinforcements alongside TPJ and Kikau. He'll be at lock forward. So the dogs still do get significant boosts in the forward pack with Pango Jr. and Faitala Mariner returning against the Parramatta Eels. It wouldn't be a Parramatta game without the opposition getting huge reinforcements, wouldn't it, 60s? I mean, oh, and I, I think that Faitala Mariner, like, I've got a huge rap on him. He's He impressed me when he was at the Warriors. And I think his he hasn't reached his ceiling at all yet. He, he, I mean, he's not exactly young these days, but he did just re- re-sign the Bulldogs. And he's a player that, I mean, at 29 years of age, he certainly still has some uh, petrol left in the tank. And he's a player you feel would have flourished in the Parramatta system. So it's a shame that that union never came about. But for the Bulldogs, he's been good. Can he not be good this week? That'd be very nice. Oh, uh, that that would be nice, yeah. Uh, on the interchange, well, you speak about old dogs... I don't think this one's learning new tricks, but Josh Reynolds, he's there as the, uh, not not like a cheerleader or anything like that, but probably like the uh, the morale captain, um, <clears throat> making his return to Belmore this year and getting back in the first grade in the last couple of weeks. Jaden Ockenbaugh was a winger, now a second rower. Corey Waddell was <clears throat> uh, on the bench initially, expecting to come into the starting team to replace Kikau 60s, which means they're going to have to replace him on the interchange with new recruit Ryan Sutton rounding out that original bench. Carl Lawapu, Jackson Topanay, Sam Hughes, Declan Casey, and Andrew Davey round out that extended roster. Big question as to who comes into the team. I don't think it's going to be the young gun, Lawapu. Topanay played last week. Sam Hughes made his inaugural debut last week. Andrew Davey, also an experienced hand when it comes to that spot on the bench. I'd probably say I'd lean towards Topanay to play here because he is an outright edge-back rower. Uh, but Davey also has experience in that role too. Obviously, it's his preferred position. So, I don't know, 60s, who do you feel is going to come in for uh, Waddell slash Kikau in that whole injury slash uh, replacement chain? They Have they not announced who's coming I in I am yet? looking at the NRL.com team list, and it still has Kikau in there. So, unless the Bulldogs have made a separate announcement, because they're not obligated to change their team list until 48 hours before. Uh, they do have pregame notes here. Have they updated the team list here? No, Kikau's still there. They So Kikau has been confirmed to be replaced. A replacement Kikau will be confirmed in the lead. Yeah, so they're, they're holding their cards close to their chest here. Yeah. The, look, the interesting player there on the bench is Josh Reynolds. I think it's fair to say he had an absolute shocker when he came on last week. Like If we're talking about performances which almost played into the opposition hands, that was Reynolds. And because Reynolds is such a high-octane effort effort player, the more he was trying to do, the worse it was coming. He was giving away penalties. Mm-hmm. He was getting he was getting brushed aside in defence. It was just an awful performance. Like, I mean, you, you looked at him and people, people have been critical of Josh Hodgson and saying that, you know, he's he's obviously past his prime for the Eels. And, and you know, I must admit that uh, his 
form in the NRL has not matched the preseason that he had. That like I was I was just watching in amazement what he was doing during the preseason. I don't know whether it's a confidence thing or what it is with with Josh or whether he he feels like he can't impose himself on the team as yet that he's fitting in with a structure that he's that he's still finding his way with. But I constantly see him looking great at training and it's just not translating out on the field. Now, Josh Reynolds, man, he like if you if you had someone who came off the bench for the Eels and performed like he did last week, you'd be demanding that they be dropped right back to New South Wales Cup. However, his name is Josh Reynolds. And Josh Reynolds has always been a high-effort player. Yep. You can bet that game last week would have stung him to the core. Like He would have felt embarrassed, not only by the scoreline that the Bulldogs ended up getting beaten by and the fact he was on the field when a lot of those points were being added, but just his own performance was not at the standard that he would have been happy with. I reckon he will pose a threat to the Eels this week. I'm I'm genuinely concerned about okay. even at an older Josh Reynolds, even the Josh Reynolds that played that game last week and looked awful. Players I just think with the niggle factor, focus. with the high-energy niggle factor, always seem to get under the skins of the Eels. We saw Pango Jr. do a tremendous job of that uh, when the Eels first met the Dogs last season and up piling on some points against Parramatta. He really upset our pack early on with some you know garbage in the ruck that the referees did not crack down on when they should have. And our, our boys got put off pace. So yeah, when, you, when you combine we, those two... And what we, what we saw last week was he was trying to play that niggle game and he was, and he was wanting to dispute decisions that the referee was making. It... The trouble was for him last week, it just wasn't happening. No. And so every time he was going for, you know, the niggle or the argument, arguing with the ref or chipping away at the ref, it was just adding to their misery because the ref wasn't copping it. His, I, I think there was one stage, Reed Marnie just pushed him and said, get, yeah, get away. Because yeah. he like, was definitely that's how, now, on, if on tilt, got, yeah. If you've got, uh, and I know Reed's the captain, but he's he's new at the club. He's he's certainly well and truly Josh Reynolds Jr. And he had to push him and say go away because he he was not helping the cause. And it just yeah, it just wasn't a good look for Josh Reynolds last week. There was nothing about that game that and was a good look. And this, as I said, I think that'll sting him. This may be just a bitter Parramatta fan of me speaking, but. What he didn't get away with against the Rabbitohs and, you know, that ability to argue uh, decisions and, you know, be grubby in the ruck, like I said, maybe just a bit of Parramatta fan, but it sure feels like he might have the different kind of whistle this week. You know, yeah, so. I, I, just think, I just think we are going to see him being influential in the game. He concerns me as a player that's out there. I look at this Bulldogs team and... Like you, there's there's players that I I have a regard for as up and coming players like Caraz, like Alamotti. I think Avarillo's been a revelation. Well, he's like, he's one of those off contract players, and he hasn't been linked strongly to the Parramatta Reels, But I wouldn't say he's an X factor player, but he's got speed and he's got utility. So he's one of those interesting players that you look at when you look at the opposition lineups. Yep, and you look at the at the Bulldogs pack 
and even without Kikau, it's a strong pack. Now, let's balance that out by looking at our Eels. If you're talking about all our players playing at their best, they get the job done. It's much like I said last week, where the Eels at their best playing, the Tigers at their best, and the Eels should win. Right? We didn't see the Eels at their best. But somehow, even with the Tigers arguably playing their best football of the year, mm-hmm. the Eels not at their best was still able to beat the Tigers arguably at close to their best. Yeah, and with a young gun like Junior Tupo having a career day. So, yeah. yeah. Look, so it, it, what I'm expecting from this is it's a home game. We want the Eels to be at their best. They really performed quite strongly in the second round last year, the second match against the Bulldogs last year after having an absolutely dog day against the Dogs <laughs> out, out at Acor Stadium earlier in the year. Like they just you that old cliche of didn't turn up. Well, yeah, they yeah. didn't turn up no, they did in not. that game. Um, but they were focused in the return match. They will need to be focused. I liked hearing the fact that the players were dirty on themselves in the dressing sheds after last week's game. The evidence was there in a team song, which I, I wrote about in, in Bumpers Up. I said it was sung with all the enthusiasm of kids that are singing the national anthem at a school assembly. It was they're like it was almost like they were embarrassed to sing the team song. They shouldn't be embarrassed to sing the sing the team song after a win. I believe you've got to celebrate every win. However, yeah. uh, one of our one of our readers, uh, and I think he said this on um, on uh, the Twitter account, um, Graham said that he thinks that the Eels will take more out of that narrow win than what they would have if they had won by a score of like 34 to 10 or 32 to 10 last week because yeah. it would have that like if they had have continued to cruise to the victory it maybe would have wallpapered over what wasn't a great performance anyway in that first half now i still think that the eels were a bit better than they were given credit for last week it was not a great game um but if you consider that the tigers played to their best and the eels still found a way to manufacture a win when they were a long way from their best you've got to take a, a you know a bit of a positive out of it if we play like that against the bulldogs the bulldogs will win there, there, yeah, there yeah, is a question exactly. about that but you know try and draw a form line across the season <laughs> like it's yeah. it's impossible it's and absolutely the, impossible. the dogs have been quite volatile themselves i know they've been celebrated for having a good start to the season but uh they come to this round with uh, free wins, free losses, and you know that's obviously better than they've been tracking in recent seasons. But if I just go to their actual form matchups, they got spanked by Manly, who are you know very much a middling team right now. They beat an understrength count Melbourne Storm in round two. They themselves barely got past the West Tigers with that late flurry of points scored by uh, the joint venture team. Lost to the Bulldogs, beat the Cowboys by a point. Got hang on, hang on. Lost to the Bulldogs? Sorry, lost to the Warriors, I'm just saying. Yep, I mean, yep, yep. Maybe they had their own worst enemies on the day too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And then got hammered by the Rabbitohs in, in that, you know, sort of popular thing, considered 50 points, which means that, you know, by rights in the modern era, their premiership campaign is over, which I, whenever people say this, I always remind them that 
the 01 Knights had 49 points put on them, I'm pretty certain, at one point. So that is very much an arbitrary stat. Just wait to be broken. Uh, but it is a fun stat. So, yeah, I mean, they're doing well. Reed Money obviously flourishing in a in an environment where he's given a lot more license to not necessarily freelance, but, you know, uh, attack the team and attack the opposition teams. But what's been, I suppose, not talked about for Reed is as much as he's flourishing for his uh, possession and attacking stats, uh, someone put it to me, and I'd have to confirm this, so this is a little bit of an asterisk here, but I think he's uh, either close to or maybe surpassed his missed tackle count from last year in his early early uh, rounds at the Bulldogs. So as much as he's you know killing it in attack, there are opportunities to exploit him in defense. So you know Parramatta might be looking at that, saying we can do something. And I suppose we're speaking a lot about Parramatta here. We probably should announce the team uh, because there is one major change. Otherwise, it is the same team that took on the West Tigers. Uh, unchanged backline sixties. Captain Quinton Gufferson at fullback. Mike Azevo left wing. Hayes Dunst the right wing. Sean Russell left centre. Will Penasini right centre. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses in the halves. Reagan Campbell Gillard finally reunited with his running mate Junior Barlow, who comes back after a two-game suspension. I can't even remember what he was suspended for at this point. It was a what was he suspended for? High contact, shoulder charge. I I don't know. Oh yeah, it was that awful high shot against Penrith. Uh, ahead of Golden Point. So, yeah, that that's exactly why he was suspended. So, yeah, it makes sense. But he's back in the team now, uh, brings the Eels pack back to what we, you know, can pretty easily argue as full strength, given that Sean Lane is on the left edge, Bryce Cartwright the right. Uh, Bryce Cartwright, it just it just works. Uh, with Ryan Madison at lock forward. On the interchange, Jermaine Hopgood, Brendan Hands, Brad Arthur pumping with the two big boys on the interchange, which we spoke about with our Quint. Uh, there's definitely some contentious discussion about that, but Wira McGregor and Mackenzie Makatoa winning their spots for round seven at the very least. On the extended interchange, Jake Arthur, Matt Dury, Offa Hickey Ogden, Jack Murchie, and Wonga Blake. Chris Butler holding the main whistle 60s. Uh, a couple of uh, probably lesser-known touch judges, Wyatt Raymond, Nick uh, Bichelle, Casey Badger is in the box with the video controls. And yeah, so the Eels with the one major change. You already mentioned it in the New South Wales Cup, but Jack Murchie, the man that made way um, amidst that uh, junior Barlow return. Uh, yeah, very good Eels team on paper. I probably would have gone for a different bench, but obviously we don't have all the insight uh, that the coaching staff do have. Uh, and against the Bulldogs, beefing up in the middle is not the worst idea. Yeah, can I I just want to point out something that you, that you raised about Reed Barney. And people have been critical of Josh Hodson with missed tackles this year. Hodjo's averaging 5.3 missed tackles per game. Reed Marnie is 6.7 missed tackles per game with a high of 10 missed tackles in one game. So There's opportunities in the middle then. I mean, that's where Parramatta need to be directing their big boys, where they need to be doing those outside insides. We saw a little glimpse of that interchange play between the spine against the West Tigers, didn't we, 60s, where in that first try they combined beautifully Hodgson to Moses, who kicked to Dylan Brown, who then offloaded the Gufferson. So you probably want to see be seeing more of that with the uh, a big, but perhaps not super mobile Canterbury middle, alongside Reed, who is a bit of a liability in defence. Yeah, he is. And again, you've spoken about it. Reed's been getting plenty of plaudits for what he's brought to the Bulldogs' attack. But, yeah, it was 
I know that it was becoming a concern. I spoke about it when he left the club at the end of the season that opposition teams were calling out where he was in the line when when they were in attack. Like He was being targeted big time in defence. Now, the bloke's a workaholic. He's He makes up near, like he's averaging around 47 tackles per game. It's... I guess what it comes down to is how critical are the other tackles that are missed? Because you could you could miss a tackle and be counted as a missed tackle, but you you put the bloke off his stride. Yeah, not all missed tackles are equal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like you could you could be the missed tackle that leads to a line break, or you can be the missed tackle in the middle of the field that yeah you just you put a bloke off his stride, he gets finished off by the next tackler. And there's there's no impact at all from the from that missed tackle. It's yeah, there's missed tackles and there's missed tackles. So the, we haven't really watched. I, well, I haven't watched Reed closely enough in defence this season to say have his missed tackles been more or less crucial than say Hodjo's missed tackles. What we know is if you're in the if you're in that dummy half role, you're going to make a lot of tackles, and the chances are that there's going to be times when the big, the bigger players are going to push you aside. Uh, but again, your missed tackle is probably not as con- as as much of a consequence as say a Wonga Blake missing a yeah, tackle a out centre, wide, exactly because it's going to lead to a line break or a try. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. and with so, with Reed, while there will be opportunities to attack him for the Parramatta Reels, especially for that full strength forward pack. One thing you've got to really be keyed into is the back three for the Parramatta Eels, which is obviously Dunster, Sivo, and Guffo, is that he's kicked three forty twenties this year. So, you know, it's a you know nearly 50% strike rate across. Well, it is a 50% strike rate after six rounds. Um, well, you'd have to say he's improved that aspect of his game because Reed, the one thing I can assure people that when he was with the Eels is that Reed practiced and practiced and practiced those 40-20 kicks. He's obviously just executing better this this season because... We saw that when he was aiming for the 40-20s last year, we had a uh, a few that went out on the full or, or others. They just didn't happen. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, what did he kick? One last year? One 40-20? Um, yeah, it with, wasn't with, a huge number. With, with Reed's long kicking game, Parramatta, there was always that uh, concern that, you know, one in however many, four or five, he'd shank and then sprayed off the side of the boot. So he's been much more consistent with that at Canterbury. And, yeah, I mean... When, when you're a team with low expectations, it is very fun to have a player come in like that. It's going to be interesting to see if Reid, uh, if those defensive miscues keep happening, you know, uh, how much pressure does that put on him? But given that he's doing a great job steering the team in offense, I think that's probably been balanced out a bit there. For Parramatta, those 60s, uh, obviously last week was foul. Well, I say last week, it was just Monday. But uh, it, w- it wasn't the ideal process. The result, you still got the two points. That's the important thing. After being uh, one and four coming into the round, you had to get the win. This is now a chance with our draw opening up to you know bank a few wins, and it starts with the Bulldogs. Uh, what 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 are you doing here? Are you concerned about players like Kiraz and Alamotti and Avarillo who that have that blend of uh, just you know pure effort and physical burst like Kiraz or speed like Alamotti and Avarillo, or do you just go back to looking at Parramatta football? Do you, you know the we've had a couple of quiet games from Reg with Junior back to the Eels look to go up a gear in the middle. Uh, you know, we had Hayes Dunst to have 40 decent minutes of football last week, but then struggle in the second half after the, the speed of the game probably just got to him a bit. 
uh, with him and, and Russell sort of coming back into this team, are they just going to build quietly or are you looking for big steps forwards? Uh, what are your key talking points in this game before we get to our predictions? I think we covered some of it in our news podcast with Clint when we talked about the contributions of the back five, the back three or the back five, because if you have a look at the at the Bulldogs' run meters, they're blokes like um, Karaz is at he's averaging one hundred and eighty seven point five run meters per game. Even Hayes Perham is averaging one hundred and sixty six run meters per game. Now, when you compare that to Parramatta, Sevo's averaging one hundred and twenty one. Gutho's 127. It's, you know, we're, we're, and of course, Dunster's only just returned and he, he got, what was it, under 70 uh, run metres last week. It's, I don't know whether we, we put that down that we don't play enough of that style of football with the back three or the back five taking the pressure off the forwards with the carries. I mean, the eye test to me says we attempt to do that, but we're not as effective with those carries. So, because uh, every time you see a kick go downfield, it's the same across all teams. Half back, the whoever fields it, hits it up. Half back goes to dummy half because they're back faster than the, than the, than the number nine. And it's the same across all teams. It then goes to hit ups to either the the uh, centre, a winger, or the fullback, depending on who it was that was tackled. And you'll see that for about three or four tackles. You might see a forward engaged by about the fourth or fifth tackle because most of the time they're only just getting back on side, depending on the depth of the kick. Uh, or you might see a shift of the football, depending on whether the backs have actually got a bit of momentum through their metres of the carry. And what we're seeing there is that that's probably an area of the game where the Eels have not shone in any way, shape or form this season. So straight away, that's an area of concern for me. I think we're going to see a better... We we will see better from Reg this week, not only because Junior's back, but he's been... Reg has been flat for... Um, the last couple of weeks, he will bounce back this week. I, I can almost guarantee that he'll bounce back this week and we'll see more of the reg that we come to know. I think we can win the middle, but, geez, we can make it easier on our forwards if our if our back five could get just some more metres than what they're getting. So, um, yeah, that, that, that to me is a key a key part of the match. I think Canterbury's got the edge there. I don't think they should have with <laughs> the players that they've got in comparison, but they are. So, I mean, the, the word I keep harkening back to, and I know that people are listening to us right now and, and also the ones that read anything I talk about in terms of the, the previews with the team which Tuesday will be sick of it, but physicality. You know, the, yep. the Eels just have to absolutely be in this game, be physical, chase the collisions. Yes, it's a you know a rugby league truism, but it's a truism for a reason. And and Parramatta's best football, like I said, they, they've got a brand of football amongst the wider NRL for being entertainers, 
for being expansive with the second phase football and being disruptive because of it. But the best part of that football comes when that smash mouth football in the middle happens. When Junior and Reg and Maddo and you know and the edge forwards too, obviously and the interchange guys are all chipping in and, and, and really hammering that ball downfield. So really want to see that from Parramatta. That that is my by far and away out of anything else is my biggest singular focus coming into round seven. Uh, obviously, there's other things you can talk about too, combinations in the halves, getting more of those, uh, not trick plays, but those uh, interchange plays between the, the spine coming together. I love seeing that, you know, that prime Melbourne big three sort of stuff. Uh, that That is a real difference maker in the big games, I think. Uh, so I'd love to see the Eels expand on that. Uh, and there's more stuff. Obviously, you want to see Russell and Dunster grow as they make their NRL, uh, not returns, but consolidations continue. Uh, but... I was looking at an opposition player 60s, and the one player to key into and maybe shut down, and I, you know they've got a light, uh, light foot sort of uh, speedster in Perham, and good youngster in Paul Alamotti. Obviously, Matt Burton can put up dangerous bombs, uh, and is a, a dangerous ball runner near the line because of his size. We've already mentioned Reed Money, TPJ can be dangerous, but the one I really come back to, and we've mentioned a couple of times, is Jacob Kiraz. Because, you know, the guy's averaging 200 metres a game and five tackle breaks a game across a month and a half now. So he, he is really, talk about physicality and setting the tone, he is really feeding the rest of that Bulldogs team with what he's bringing to the table. So if you can put him, you know, not in jail or, in you know, locked up in terms of defence, but if you can just quieten his game a bit, I think that you maybe you might be able to blunt in the Bulldogs' attack significantly. Well, he signalled his promise last year when he made an impression after his first grade debut. And from memory he then he then went and on the to the World Cup with Lebanon. Correct. So yeah, look, he and that's why I pointed out he is one of the difference makers in those run meters that are achieved by the uh, wingers and fullback. At, at, and by the way, I wasn't criticizing Gutho in any way there. No, it's it's hard to expect much more from Gutho than what he's currently giving. And look, I want to, I want to echo some of the points that you made. We were far too passive last week. Mm -hmm. We let the Tigers come to us rather than taking the game to the Tigers, especially in defense. The line speed just didn't seem to be there. We scrambled well, but the line speed just wasn't there. And ultimately, that's what opened up those spaces for attacking our our left side and the wing. Uh, sorry, our right side, the Tigers going to their left. So they, they basically had all the momentum and were coming at a, a defence that was on the back foot or even retreating. So I just wasn't happy with our line speed, that passive defence. You spoke about playing the Parramatta brand of football. BA has been criticised by some supporters that he puts too much emphasis on winning the collisions. I, I don't understand that line of thinking whatsoever. I think, as I said, I think you can lighten the workload on the forwards a little bit by the by the backs getting some of those early meters, like like the Panthers do so well, and like the Bulldogs are doing a reasonable job of, and that's not unexpected given, given the background of Cameron Seraldo uh, up at the Panthers. But 
that brand of football, that physicality that you spoke about through the forwards, that's why I'm expecting a big, a better performance from um, Reg. I'm expecting a big effort from Junior on return. Laney's going to be better for second week back. Uh, Dylan Brown is going to be better for Lane's second week back. We've had a very consistent Bryce Cartwright this season. He's just, he's been more of the workaholic type second rower than the flashy uh, minimum work rate second rower that he's been in the past. And uh, Ryan Madison, he's since his return after his suspension, he's, he's performed very, very strongly. His carries, his run meters have been up near the top for the forwards. His work rate's been good. And then of course, I think that we're all waiting for Jermaine Hopgood to give us that little flashes of brilliance with the offloads that maybe he put away into the kit bag after that intercept that was thrown against the Seagulls. Maybe mm. he got a bit gun shy. Maybe the coaches told him to pull his head in a little bit with his offloads. But I think we've missed something with those just yeah. not happening. And it doesn't just be offloads. He's building ball play before the line. You know, what he, Maddo and Junior can bring there, I really hope the Eels lean into it without being silly. You know, it's, yeah. it's about yeah. balance. Yes. So, um, you mentioned, Mitch Moses. I was going to say on Hopgood quickly, you mentioned him obviously looking to have a big game. It's a big few weeks for Hopgood because he's actually been flagged by Billy Slater as a an actual serious candidate for origin selection. Yeah, so, and I can understand why because in the previous if you can call it representative match in the All-Stars game, he yeah, was one of the standouts for yeah. the Indigenous team. And Queensland love that profile player, don't they? Sort of a, not slept on, but lower profile, hard-working forward with upside, the ability to open up games with uh, whether it's, you know, tackle-breaking or floating ability. So he and I think Corey Horsburgh are the two sort of bolters that have been flagged right now by Billy Slater. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and just finally, our... Our spine, mate. We've we've given some praise to Gutho because you couldn't have asked too much more from the captain. Similar to Mitch Moses, he's a competitor. He wants to win. Mitch Moses, for all the criticisms that might come his way, he is one of the true competitors in Parramatta's team. He goes out there and he wants to win every week. Yeah, that's it. And even when it's not happening for him, it's just that it hasn't happened for him in that game. It it's for whatever reason. But he wants to win. He's acknowledged in the within the club as someone that is a real competitor and has that winning desire. Uh, I I touched on this before with Hodjo. I just I just have that feeling that he's he's still feeling his way into the team, and I'm not sure why because there's and and I know that match days and training days are completely different, but. I don't know. I just see a more confident player out on the training paddock than on Ooh. than I am out on the out on the match. And I, yeah, I I just feel like there's times where he hasn't as yet pulled the trigger for the sort of plays that he's capable of doing, and for whatever reason, maybe he's just playing completely to instructions about what the coaches want from him. But look. I I still think that we're going to see the best of him during the season. Now, the, the best of Hodjo may not be the best 
of Hodjo's career, but I think we are going to see better from him. Well, and 60s, I've got to interrupt you quickly because breaking story on a player that we haven't talked about, but is very much not just tangentially, but directly related to Hodjo, the Eels have extended Brendan Hands to the end of 2025. So uh, okay. two-year two extension becomes a, the 28th player in our top 30 this year, I believe. Uh, and you know, one, an extension I think we all saw coming given that he's been very much more than solid in these uh, handful of NRL games for us and looks like he might actually be a, a long-term contender or at least as part of maybe a, a rotation to that number nine position. Absolutely. So we're probably seeing Brendan Hands start to show the potential that we signed him for at the start of last season. So uh, he's now been upgraded from second tier into the top 30. You mentioned it's no surprise. It's It still leaves two positions that have to be filled. One, you would think, would have to be filled sooner rather than later. The other one might be kept for a mid-year uh, up to the last deadline uh, signing. But uh, given that we want a middle forward and an outside back, this is the upgrade that probably had to happen. Maybe the hand was forced a little bit, well, hand, the hands uh, was forced a little bit by the fact that he's become an integral bench player and he wasn't on, it wasn't part of the top 30. So if we wanted to continue selecting him, a push had probably come to shove, mm-hmm. you'd have to say. Yeah. Uh, whatever exemptions that we'd had, given that he's been classified as a, um, uh, maybe the right word's not professional, number 14, but a, um, what's the word? It's a um, specialist, yep. number 14. Specialist utility, specialist 14, specialist, yeah. Yeah, specialist utility because... Specialist generalist. The way, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's yeah. A, <laughs> the way... The way the game's evolving with the number 14, it's that it has literally become a specialist yeah, position to cover multiple spots when they come off the bench. And that's what we are talking yeah. about with Paddy Spence, was once upon a time that would be a real death knell on your ability to progress through the grades because you'd be the guy that sort of plugs holes but doesn't have a, a way to develop long-term. But now it is legitimately an important position and it's going to be even more important as player welfare ramps up with concussions and other injuries. So having yes. guys that can, you know, cover multiple spots and multiple core positions. You know, we're talking about the, the positions that handle the ball most in dummy half, uh, be able to play in spine. Brennan Hands can be a very handy, if you pardon the pun, uh, five-eighth or halfback when required. So, you know, huge, huge uh, uh, reinforcement for Parramatta there. Good to see him being rewarded for a really strong start to his NRL career. I mean, he hasn't really done much wrong. 60s defensively, he's been outstanding. If I try and pull up his... Uh, I think I don't think he's barely missed a tackle, honestly. If I uh, um, can find, I'm his, just uh, going to uh, champion data here, and Brendan Hands is averaging 0.3 missed tackles per game. Oh, that terrible numbers there, Brendan. Come on, mate, you got to get those numbers up. You know, get yeah. or down rather. No, so he NRL.com, which is a more broad stroke statistical analysis, obviously have him at 93% tackle efficiency, which is very very good. Um, well, his his season, the highest missed tackles that he's got for the season is one. Yeah, so, so that that gives you the zero point three for the providing the good service. So now the thing will be for him, much like Hojo, 
is just finding the right times to chime in, running the ball, and taking his own opportunities. So that'll come. But yeah, really, really happy there. Uh, anything you want to talk about, sixties before we move on to predictions, because the podcast is starting to run on. <laughs> just, just for something unusual, we're getting an extra long podcast. Imagine if we were trying to fit in the news as well. Yeah, well, like this we just had with Brendan Hands. Exactly. But I think the other player that I just want to see more out of this week is uh, Dylan. Yep. He's no one can suggest that he is playing anywhere near the attacking form that he had last year. He was he was almost an X factor in the line breaks and the tries that were that he was either scoring himself or putting on for other players. He's he's probably been as quiet in attack in 2023 as he was in 2021. And the his defense is never in question. He's been a major contributor in shutting down line breaks or his cover defense when it looks like the try is on and you just see him with those scything low tackles uh, bringing down near certain tries. But that missing Sean Lane out there really impacted him. And and to an extent, they almost looked like two strangers last week. Lane, he wasn't quite getting his his lines right or the timing right. It was, they weren't quite there, but I think you're going to see a, a return or hopefully we start to see a return to that attacking brand of football that we know Dylan Brown is capable of performing. So to me, he's got to be a key lift player this week. So into our predictions, I was conservative last week in that I thought that the Eels game against the Tigers was going to be close. Likewise, I think this is going to be one of those games where we're sitting on the edge of the seat and we're, it's not a comfortable I, game. I fear you're ever. right. I fear you're right. That doesn't mean I'm going to predict that way, though. Okay. So I'm I'm going to suggest that the Eels win by 32 to 22. I think, again, it's going to be a – I think we're going to have a high-scoring game. I was uh, saying this to Ham, Hamish and Birdie on the uh, Para podcast, the other podcast I do weekly. Um, I'm almost going to use the secret, you know, the uh, the old will it into existence uh, sort of prediction. I'm going to tip another massive win until the Paramaterials get a massive win. So I'm, I'm going for a big blue and gold victory, as unrealistic as it is, uh, in the vein of 44-6. Uh, Oh mate, if you know, if they can get if they can get a, a score of something like forty four to six, when we're going into Jack's Bar and Grill to do the podcast, um, first of all, I'll be dancing probably, coming into probably the. Probably barely, barely be able to podcast because it would have been uh, raw throat from cheering so much. So, yeah. and and then I'll just then I'll just do uh, the bowing to you all the way through the, <laughs> the, the Look, all through the podcast, like, like you sort of let in with. I know that realistically, this is going to be a tough game, and the scoreline will reflect that. But we also know that the Paramount Reels have it within them if they you know get anywhere near eighty percent of their best to really pile on the points. So. Uh, I would love to see him be ruthless here. Uh, Canterbury are going to be up for this game. Match that intensity and surpass it. Go out there, be physical, dominate the ruck, and be explosive in your playmaking opportunities. So that's what I'm looking for from Parramatta this week, and that's why I'm going to tip a big win. Okay, so first try scorer, uh, I'm going to go with Dylan Brown. 
this I, week. I mean, I like it. You, you sort of you've challenged him to step up, and you're also putting faith in him to do that and then open up the scoring. I think I tipped Hayes Dunster in my other predictions earlier this week, but I'm thinking back on it. If we're going to play intense physical football, I'm looking at the middle forwards, and I'm tipping one of the starting middles to score. Which one I want to go with though? Reg Junior or Maddo? Reg actually paid out for me earlier this year, so maybe I'll go for his running mate in Junior coming back in. And I think it'll either be Junior scoring or Junior setting up the opening try for that little hit and spin offload to Moses or Gufferson uh, looping in on support. So that's my tip there for FTS. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because my tip for best on field is going to be Reg. I think he's going to bounce back in a big way this week and he will produce a, a player of the match performance. My best on field. Whoo. I mean, there's so many guys that you can just sort of lock in as like near automatic three-point contenders, three-to-one contenders, that is, like Guffo and Moses, because hey, obviously there is a bias towards spine players, but within Parramatta, those guys are ultra-consistent with high ceilings. Um, I will keep it in the middle, though. Uh, one of the, the middle three there in uh, Reg Jr. and Maddo, and I think the player that's probably been in the best nick amongst those middles, given that Junior hasn't played and Reg is uh, not where he's not 100% or not quite, you know, uh, uh, locked in whichever way. Uh, I'm going to go with Maddo to, to be the difference maker across the whole 80 minutes here for the Parramatta Reels. Mate, sounds like a, a good call that we're, we're both looking at the middle to be dominant and to feature in best on field. So let's hope that the Eels take home the victory on the back of that strong forward platform, winning the middle is the old rugby league cliche. And I think that just about wraps things up. Yeah, I think that is a wrap on a a massive preview podcast that was uh, extended heavily by obviously the junior reps first week of finals where we went in depth for each of those teams. Uh, obviously, the preview podcast isn't going to be as lengthy uh, in other weeks moving forwards, unless the junior reps all get through to the grand final qualifier, I suppose, which would give us maybe one, if not two more weeks of a uh, massive preview. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. But before then, we might catch you at uh, Jack's Bar and Grill if you're out there live in the post game. So uh, yeah, have a nice really, weekend, guys. Really like to see the people out there. We appreciate those that come over, say good day, uh, introduce themselves, and uh, we really appreciate that. So looking forward to being able to say good day to more people this week. Yes, indeed. All right. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Stay safe. Go your wheels.